Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey. Monica O'Hanlon Production. I think the, um, the internet's been going in and out here. So that, that might have been affecting it. No, no, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Nice I'm to see you. Hello, Happy New Year 2021. I hope you're off to a magnificent start. I took a cheeky break over the festive season, but I'm back now and raring to go. If you're new to the pod, you are, of course, listening to Dying With Mon. Each week, I speak to someone from a religion or movement about what they believe happens when we die. And yes, it sounds pretty grim, but I can assure you it's surprisingly upbeat. Now, today, I am just thrilled to share with you a conversation I recorded last year with Reverend Robert Smith, a.k.a. Bob. He's a Churches of Christ minister, but has experience in a number of denominations within Christianity, and he's got some really interesting perspectives. I have to say, I think like many people growing up in Australia, Christianity, and in my case, particularly Catholicism, was the first religion that I learned about. So I kind of thought I had the basics covered. However, I was actually really surprised about some of the things that Bob said. He's a lovely guy, super patient, and a fabulous storyteller. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation. Let's get into it. My name is uh, Robert Smith, Reverend Robert Smith. Um, I'm actually a Churches of Christ minister, but for the last 10 years or so, I've worked uh, with the Uniting Church. And currently, even though I'm supposed to be retired, I'm doing a supply ministry at a place called the Northern Illawarra Uniting Church in Bulai, north of Wollongong. Could you give us a quick, I know I was lucky enough to interview you, I think last year, maybe. Was it last year? I can't even remember. But could you give us a quick rundown on how you found religion? Okay. Yeah. I didn't grow up in a religious family. Um, I, I was born in England. We came to Australia when I was 16. In fact, I had my 16th birthday two days out from Southampton when we were sailing through the Bay of Biscay. Remember it well. But um, I actually got involved seriously with uh, with Christianity, I, I suppose, in after a few months in Australia. And uh, that was probably to do, you know, at that age, you're looking for, you know, you're looking for meaning in life, things like that. And um, uh, it may sound a bit dramatic. It's not supposed to, not meant to be, but I, I, I nearly got drowned at Maroubra Beach when I was trying to learn to surf. And uh, I remember that it was a Sunday afternoon. Uh, that night, I actually decided to go to church. First time I'd been to church for, well, probably for, for years, I guess. I think the only, I probably could count on my the fingers of one hand the number of times I've been to church. So I trotted off to a local Anglican church and actually rather liked it. But it was a couple of months later that I, I did get involved myself with the church of another denomination, Churches of Christ. And that's, you know, that was kind of like the start of it for me. 
So you saw it as a bit of a sign, your near-drowning experience. Yeah, I, I actually don't know what I saw it at. I, th- I think probably, I'm probably building on the fact that, you know, at that stage of my life, I was really looking for some kind of spiritual reality. And uh, so it wasn't kind of like a zap of lightning that suddenly hit me and moved me along. But I think that just one thing leading to another, that night, I, I was probably without without conceptualizing it, aware of, I, I suppose, of my own mortality, I think. When you're 16, you don't actually think about dying, do you? No, no, you don't. You did mention that you started in an Anglican church and then you went to, what was it, Churches, Churches of, Christ. of Christ? Yeah, Churches of Christ, which is one of the smaller, smaller Protestant denominations, very similar to the Baptist Church in many ways and a bit like the United Church in others here. Okay. What what was the uh, the reasoning behind changing? Um, oh well, it was it was simply because we actually moved from where we were staying when we first arrived in Sydney out to a place where my mum and dad bought their first house, and it so happened that through various circumstances, my my younger sister got invited to go to the youth group at the Padstow Church of Christ, which was fairly nearby. And I just got back from work when these two people were there and they, they, they'd come to invite Judy along. And uh, I walked in as they were about to leave. And it's funny, one guy the, who was the actually the leader of that youth group, he just happened to mention, well, with, you know, we'll said to Judy, I think you'll enjoy this and, and you might get something spiritual out of it. Now, that word spiritual resonated with me for some strange reason because, you know, I had no background in this. And I said, oh, can I come too? Yeah, they said. So I uh, turned up next Thursday uh, night and they had a sort of a a fellowship dinner, fellowship tea. Um, There was probably about 40 or 50 teenagers there. We had a a guest speaker and and in the old, you know, sort of – evangelistic tradition, the guest speaker invited people to make a commitment to Christ. And lo and behold, I decided I'd do it. And <laughs> and it kind of all went from there, you see. What would you say the main differences from the churches of Christ to, say, Catholicism or another Christian denomination? Well, very little difference in, in many ways, probably a bit more um from Catholicism, although you know the, the the basics of of Christian beliefs are are standard across the denominations, and the the, the differences tend to be uh, more historical in many ways. But but the Churches of Christ would be a fairly typical typical of Protestant denominations, and 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 because that Anglican Church was belonged to you know, that branch of Anglicanism that is fairly conservative, evangelical, very little difference, actually, apart from things like the Anglican Church baptises babies and the Churches of Christ, they only baptise people who are old enough to make their own decision that they want to belong and things like that. But underneath it, you know, it's essentially the same. Same with the Uniting Church. And is that controversial that you kind of go if you're a minister for the Uniting Church and then you're still with the other church or how does it? Not really. 
Because my, my last job in the Churches of Christ was I was working as the national coordinator. Um, I was sort of half the national coordinator and half an army chaplain. And and so um, and one of the last jobs I did in that uh, job as the, as the national coordinator was to uh, establish a protocol with the national body of the United Church so that we could second each other's ministers without having to go through great formalities. And um, then when I finished in that role, I uh, th th there was a, I actually got reposted in the army to uh, to the land headquarters, which in, as it was in those days, as the deputy command chaplain, and uh, they wanted me half time, so it was a bit hard to fit things in. And so, out of the blue, the local uniting church where I was living said, hey, "We're looking for somebody to be our pastor part time. You know, just half half time." Well, that fitted in with the with a chaplaincy. And so that's where the connection actually was made. And so I became the first one to use that protocol that I'd set in place. And I've sort of um, been involved with the United Church ever since and actually really rather like the United Church. I hope you don't get in trouble uh, for nah. stating that. No, no, no. You see, these days, I mean, denominationalism doesn't seem to count for very much these days. There's a, there's, there's a huge, people are, are crossing denominational borders all the time. And when I met you previously, you know, up in Nullenboy, I was up there doing a, a four-month stint with the Uniting Church there, and that little congregation was completely, of all sorts of people from all sorts of backgrounds, uh, interdenominational, but interfaith, uh, certainly, you know, in, been international in the, the the range of ethnic backgrounds in the group. Uh, they're a great bunch of people. I'm hoping to get up there again next year uh, if things work out. But that's the way it is these days. There's, you know, the, the, those old barriers that used to be there in the past, which were a bit obnoxious seem to be breaking down, maybe because the world's changing, you know, and um, and, I, and I suppose people who are strongly committed to Christian faith or any other religious faith tend not to, well, it, 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 it's not the, you know, the sort of the all-embracing thing that goes right across the community like it might have been two generations ago. I mean, it sounds like a positive change, really. So this podcast is all about exploring death and what different religions yeah. and cultures believe when we pass over whatever that looks like. What does it look like from your perspective? Well, I guess I, I've got um, fairly traditional views based on traditional Christian teachings, which which come very much out of, uh, well, basically, you know, from things that the New Testament says Jesus said, like, you know, um, I go to prepare a place for you, where I am there you'll be, etc. things like that. And, you know, there's wonderful things that the, in the last book of the Bible, in the book of the Revelation, talking about uh, God wiping away all the tears and, and uh, that, that, that sense of uh, an afterlife um, that is, removed from all of the the traumas and uh, uh, the disappointments and 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 sometimes the you know the fairly horrific things of of this present existence and so I, I find myself um, I guess my beliefs are very much based on those uh, 
those uh, biblical theological concepts. But I, I've been fascinated for years now with uh, with some of the experiences of people who've gone through, you know, what we call uh, near-death experiences. In fact, during the course of ministry, I, I, I've come across a, a lot of people who've told me their stories. Uh, I remember probably the first of all was, was a fascinating man who... Um, who had been one of the, the leading um, criminal gangsters in Sydney back in the 40s and 50s and had this marvellous conversion experience. His name was Snowy Sid Royal. That was his name, Snowy Royal. The, uh, he had the nickname with the, the Sydney police as the man who was born to be bad. Now, I didn't know him in those days. I knew him later, and he was actually an evangelist, you know, a preacher. He would get out on every Sunday night on the corner of Goulburn Street and Pitt Street in Sydney. They would have this open-air meeting, and they'd pack two or 300 people into that corner. And uh, old Sid Royal would get up there and, uh, in the you know, the old style and and uh, away he would go telling his story and so on. Well, I, I actually used to drive him home. He had a little house in Summerhill, and uh, he'd tell me all, you know, his stories from the past and things like this. And then suddenly Snowy disappeared for a while, and we found out that um, uh, he'd had a heart attack been pronounced dead, you know, taken to the hospital, usual thing, uh, dead on arrival, etc., etc., and uh, and then um, recovers, and nobody knows why. But typical of you know so many of these cases of near death experiences. I remember when he eventually got back, and I saw him again. Took him home from that meeting on the corner of Goulburn and Pitt Streets, and he said, he says, Bob, he says. I couldn't begin to tell you what it was like. He says, all I could say is the unhappiest moment of my life was when I woke up and found I was alive again. And I says, well, you know, tell me more about it. He says, no words can do it. Now, the thing is, over the years, I've come across a number of people who have told me similar things. The most, I think the most graphic was... Um, was a guy I used to know. In fact, for a while, when in my first ministry, when I was out at Mount Druitt, out in the western suburbs, big housing commission area, I had a, a guy who became a part of the congregation for a while. His name was Ray Roberts. Now, Ray had um, he'd spent a lot of his time out in the western desert, in Western Australia, working with Aboriginal people. Then he um, he finished his working life off as the uh, superintendent of the the Newcastle City Mission. You know, that work with homeless people and things like that. So he and his wife Rita were, were looking were, were trying to get a house somewhere reasonable, and eventually they got one in Katoomba. But for a while they were they were staying in Mount Druitt. They used to come along to my church and things like that. Anyway, some months later, Ray um, on the Friday. Uh, had some sort of a heart, a heart attack or a turn or whatever. Rita calls for the ambulance. They take him off to Katoomba Hospital and he's dead on arrival. They put him in the morgue because it was late Friday afternoon and they needed to get a, do an autopsy and that wouldn't happen until the following week. Well, Rita, his wife, told me she woke up 
Sunday morning and she was convinced that Ray wasn't dead. So she phones the hospital and they think, you know, it's just a, a grief reaction, part of the denial and all that kind of thing. And they try to reassure her. It's fairly common to feel things like this, but she insisted. So they said, well, why don't you come up and we'll show you. We'll take you to the morgue and you can see for yourself. So she did. And so they, they, they took her down to the morgue. And sure enough, there's Ray lying, you know, lying there and no signs of life. And, and so she says her last goodbyes and then they turn to leave. And then suddenly, as they turn to leave, the, the sister from the ward notices what she thought was a breath. And so they check him over and they actually detect a heartbeat. Well, you know, amazing. They get him back up into uh, ICU or whatever, and uh, uh, and sure enough, there's still life there. And then after a while, Ray wakes up. And um, strangely enough, the, uh, the the nurses started to call him Lazarus. You know, the, the, the one in the Bible that Jesus raised from the dead after being dead for four days. Eventually, they discharge him. He goes back home. And I remember him telling me the story or telling me the experience. He says, and it reminded me of old Sid Royal. He said, nothing, no words could possibly describe what it was like. He said, the, the only way that I could even try to give you some sense of what it was like was, he said, Imagine yourself standing up in the Swiss Alps somewhere in the most beautiful vistas and, and you're hearing the most wonderful music sung by the greatest choirs in the world. He said, he said, that's the only way I could even kind of try to give you a, to explain what it was like. It wasn't that, but that's the only way I can explain it. And so uh, the more I pushed him, he said, he, he said, look, just, Leave me alone. He says, I can't explain it. So I says to him, well, you know, what, what are you going to do now? He said, well, he says, I'm going to go back over into over into, into the west to the areas where uh, I think it was around the Warburton Ranges where he used to work with the Aboriginal people. And he said, I, I got a lot of friends out there. And he said, the people I knew had a terrible fear of death. And he said, I'm going to go. He said, he said, I reckon that I've been spared, so I go back and tell him what it was like. That's what he did. And um, he lasted another two years, then he died went and went to where he wanted to be. Now, I think of stories like that, and other people have told me similar things, not quite as dramatic as that, and things that I've read. And, well, you know, that kind of seems to me to build on as wonderful words that I've often read at funerals where Jesus said, you know, you believe in God, believe also in me, in my father's house and many rooms, I go to prepare a place for you. You know, things like that. Wow. I, I like, <laughs> that's a pretty amazing story. I don't even know where to go with that. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Bringing it back to um, the Uniting Church and the Church of Christ, yeah. uh, which you're part of, what, what do they kind of believe? Okay, well, you know, the, it, the, the traditional Christian teachings about, about the afterlife, drawing on the, on the scriptures, particularly the New Testament, and, 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 and growing out of the Old Testament, you know, the, the, the Jewish scriptures, um, you trace it through, and it was a, a developing idea. In a couple, the couple of centuries before, uh, before Jesus was born, for example, um, there developed in Judaism this, you know, this concept um, of an afterlife, more as we tend to think of it now. Um, and and so, in in Christian doctrine, the I, the idea is that. Ultimately, the ultimate destiny of human beings is a resurrected body like Jesus rose with, you know. Um, Not a body of flesh and blood like we have, but an identifiable identifiable form in some way, but with totally different characteristics and and qualities to, you know, to this, this mortal body of flesh and blood and so on. Now, to try and explain what that really means is impossible because it, you know, it, it, it's beyond anything that uh, that we we see or feel or, or experience. But to complicate the little <laughs> the, the whole teaching a little bit more, the New Testament also seems to indicate that that is something that will be sometime in the future. In fact, it relates it to the the whole doctrine about Christ's return and things like that. But but then theologians look take the the other things in the New Testament and say, well, it seems to indicate a sort of an, an intermediate state. Like when the Apostle Paul talked about his own forthcoming de- death and he said, uh, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Um, and, and he sort of indicated that he was looking forward to a conscious existence, but but not quite the ultimate. Now, people have uh, people have debated that for for generations about what all this means, and I suppose what it all comes down to is nobody really knows, except that, as Christ is recorded as saying, "I go to prepare a place for you," and what that existence will be will be a fulfillment of all that, you know, that inwardly you ever have desired or wanted to be. In fact, C.S. Lewis, who was a brilliant man, you know, the, the great Oxford and Cambridge professor of, uh, what was it, uh, medieval languages and so on, he, he once used this, uh, this analogy in one of his books. He said to me, he said he'd, you, you you think of all the things that you've ever desired for in life, and 
when you're younger, you think that, for example, if you could go to a certain place, live in a certain place, or if you if you had a certain type of job, or if you you met the you know the dream girl or the dream man or whatever, that uh, that would be the ultimate. He says, but the the human experience is that even if you achieve those things, you're still empty inside and you wonder why, why it doesn't match up, you know, with what you thought would would be yours when you actually achieve that. And he said, the only conclusion I can come to is that we were made for something else. And that, I think, you know, is what my friend like um, Ray Roberts was talking about, uh, uh, something that that meets the the very deepest desires of the human heart and soul uh, that nothing in this world actually manages to give you. Does that make sense? Yeah. Is that so? That would be basically what we think of as heaven. Yeah. 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 yeah and right. would you? Sorry, what were you saying, Bob? No, no, no. That's that's that's. I, I think that heaven is a term that we kind of, uh, I suppose, use as an all-embracing term for that, yeah. Mm. Yeah, like, I mean, I feel like I was kind of brought up as a Catholic, but, you know, we weren't super strict or anything like Mm. that. And now Mm. I I don't really, I feel like I'm a spiritual person, but I'm not, I wouldn't Mm. say I was religious. Um, But, you know, I feel like we were always... Well, in my head, if we go to church for Christmas or whatever, special occasions, the idea of heaven I've always pictured in my mind is like white fluffy clouds and like angels with halos and, you know, a big staircase. I don't know. I kind of thought that was whatever. Uh, Yeah, well, you know, I I, I suppose... Over the centuries, and particularly through the through the Middle Ages, you know, you got this medieval picture of the um, that you used to see on some of the old church uh, church walls. Maybe still seeing the Sistine Chapel, things like this. You know, of the uh, of people ascending up beyond the clouds, and the the wicked being cast into the fires of hell. You know, I mean, that was the time when people pictured a three tiered universe: heaven up there. Here we are in the middle, hell is down there. Now, I think that is a, well, maybe they were appropriate for that age, but uh, I, I think that we've kind of gone beyond those those sort of descriptions now. And uh, and for me, and, and I think certainly for most of the, the theologians that I've ever read, we're grappling with concepts that we just, really can't wrap our heads around because it's outside of you know the dimension that we live in but we see in ourselves a desire a, you know a kind of a longing for something and and nothing in this world brings it to us and and you relate that to like those words of Christ and so on and you realize or I realize oh, that there is something more and, and and when I meet people like, you know, my mates, my old friends, I did both did now, old Sid Royal and Ray Roberts and, and others that I know, I think that, yeah, maybe they had a taste of something that I think 
is ahead for me. <laughs> yeah, right. I was going to ask you about purgatory. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, well, well, well purgatory is, uh, uh, is part of the... If the Catholic Church is teaching, Protestants don't believe in purgatory. And the idea of purgatory is a, is a place where, you know, you, it, it's a bit of a, uh, it's a, bit of a, a remedial type thing. You know, you, you purge your sins and, um, and get eventually to that, 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 that state of, um, I suppose, of uh, spiritual health whereby you, you can actually cope with heaven. Uh, that's probably not a not a terribly good uh, description of the doctrine, but but it's that idea, a kind of an, uh, a, a learning stage that you go through. And I'm, I respect the the idea. Uh, I don't hold it to it to it myself, um, but it is part of traditional Catholic teaching. So yeah. there's no kind of in between. I think you've really. I, I I'm surprised by your answer with. Um, what you like heaven and hell and stuff because it's true it, it's so complex and like you said the the idea of three dimensions it's kind of like an old school way of thinking isn't it yeah I, I, but I, I've got to say mom that I still think that you know those the um the concept of uh, a judgment and being accountable to for for ourselves to some greater entity like or God, I still hold to that. I mean, there. But maybe maybe there the, there might be something in the Catholic idea of purgatory that you know even some of the more monster type people that we you know that we've learned about um, have their chance to. To actually become something better. I mean, who knows? Who knows? I found this nice quote. Um, I was reading up a little bit yesterday. It states, "Purification of the elect, which is entirely different from the punishment of the damned." Mm. Which I think, I mean, it kind of makes sense because I feel like you've got to be really bad, <laughs> right, to go straight to that idea of hell. I guess so. I kind of yeah. like the in between. And, and and the other thing is that you know it's often said that all all religions are, are, are basically are the same; they head in the same way. And and I think there's a lot of truth in that. If you were to ask me if there is any difference between Christianity and and the other major major religious systems, I'd say, in fact, C.S. Lewis used to rattle on about this one. The one thing is the concept of grace. Now, the concept of grace is and, and grace, and it's a New Testament term, is that whereas um, generally in religious thinking we think about you know living a good life so that you build up credits um, to outweigh the deb debits in your account, you know, and you, and kind of gradually earn your way into God's favour. Whereas the concept of grace is that no, nothing we can do can actually build up enough credits, but and God knows that, and and so. It's given to us as a free gift, forgiveness, you know, new life, spiritual renewal is given to us as a free gift when we've got the sense to actually accept it. And um, and, and and so in this sense, um, 
you know, you you you're looking at at a whole different dimension of understanding of of the afterlife, not as so much so much as something that you uh, you actually earn, or the opposite that you don't earn, but rather as as something that is offered, that is available as a free gift. If you're sensitive enough, you know, if you if you stop and think about it, I should stop saying sensible. I mean, that's <laughs> that sense of it's not the way to to put it. But if you if you open your your heart and mind to it, you know what I mean. Does that make sense? I'm probably going around. Yeah. There, but but no, no, no. The idea of a free gift, a free gift, rather than something that you strive for, or if you don't, or if you strive the other way, you know, you go the other way. Okay. Okay, that's interesting. All right. One last question before you go. Are you afraid of dying? No, no, I'm not. I, In fact, I'm about to turn 76, so, and I'm the oldest male in my my line that I as far as as I can trace back I don't think any of the males that preceded me ever got this far so I can well see um uh, see it on the horizon and no I'm not I'm more worried about my wife dying and leaving me on my own (laughs) quite frankly uh I I think that um not that I'm particularly wanting to go uh, you know, in the in the near future, but um, I think, like a lot of people, I'm probably more worried about the process rather than the event. I don't really fancy, you know, sticking around with cancer for a few years like my parents did and things like that. But that may be the way it it may be. And but for death itself, no, I've had a great life, Monica. I really have. I've been very very fortunate. Got two gorgeous girls who, each of them, you know, got three kids and good husbands and they're doing well. And I've got a wonderful wife and uh, had a very fulfilling life. And um, and for me, the uh, and this again is part of part of basic Christian teaching is that uh, what's ahead is is another stage in the journey. Great answer. <laughs> really good. Any advice maybe for anyone who is scared of death? Yeah, okay. For for as long as I've been a believer, which is now most ever since I was 17, I've really become, I've often thought about, and I'm convinced that one of the great things that Jesus said in in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, seek and you'll find. And I'd say for anybody who is, really scared and really wondering, is there anything out there? Is there anything more? You just seek. And I won't tell you how to how they ought to go about that. But what I really do <clears throat> do believe is if that you start up start asking those questions, um, you'll actually you'll find your way through. You'll find the answers. I mean even if it's as and this probably sounds a bit stupid, like if you don't believe in God. Just say, well, if you're out there, you let me know. And I, th- I reckon that they'll, they'll find the answer. Might take a while, but they'll find the answer. Amazing. Hey, Bob, thank you so much for 
giving um, your time today and having a chat. Yeah. <laughs> it's a rocky start. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> great, to, great to talk to you, Mark. really is. Thanks so much for listening to this episode with the ever so lovely Reverend Robert Smith. If you're enjoying this series and can't wait until next week for more, there's four other episodes for you to binge on. I highly recommend going back to the beginning and starting with my chat with the founder of the Church of All Worlds, Oberon Zell. And if you really like this series, it would be amazing if you could rate and review this podcast wherever you listened. As an independent creator, it really helps me get my work out there. So much appreciated. And if you want to get in touch, all my contact details are in the show notes. I hope you have a wonderful week ahead of you. Until next time, I'm Monica O'Hanlon, and that was Dying With Mon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.